Reasoning with God, Faith for Thinking People series, we here at Reasoning Through the Bible are going to discuss today the topic of hell. And hell is one of the most discussed, or at least one of the topics that has some of the most heartburn, I might say, amongst both Christians and non-Christians. It runs into a lot of questions. How can a good God condemn people to hell? How can a temporal sin result in an eternal punishment in hell? Is it moral for uh, God to torture people in hell? And there's a lot of people that have a lot of issues about hell. One of the first things we have to do before we get into answering the questions about hell is to answer some of the things about what the Bible actually teaches, because what we don't want to do is set up a straw man and beat up a straw man or try to defend a straw man when the Bible might actually be teaching something else. Hell is probably one of the most disliked doctrines in all of the scriptures, both by some Christians and by non-believers. Before we get into hell, I think we'd be best to talk about what the Bible says about heaven. First of all, heaven is a place, and, and hell too, for that matter, that doesn't depend on my desires. Just like the existence or non-existence of God, it doesn't depend on my feelings. The existence of whether hell exists or not, or whether God sends anybody there or not, has nothing to do with whether I think it should be correct or not. It's whether or not it actually is the case. Reality out there is what we're dealing with and not so much what I think should be. So let's look at what the Bible says is real. Then we can get into whether or not I think it's correct or not. If it were up to a vote, I'm not sure I'd vote for hell. I'd come up with a different way personally. But again, he didn't pull me into the council room, didn't pull me into the conference room and sit around the table and say, Glenn, what would you think I should do? He is the one that presents himself as all wise, infinitely wise, and he has come up with a place called hell that's described in the Bible. And whether or not that exists or not has nothing to do with my feelings or what I think should be the case. So reality or truth is not subjective on my opinion. So I can't just explain it away just because I might not like it. That's the first thing. Truth is objective and real, and it has nothing to do with my opinions. Instead, we have to look at logic and reason and what does God reveal in his word to determine what is true. Then and only then can we answer these questions about whether or not it's moral or immoral or how people get there, things like that. Let's talk for a minute about what the Bible says. We must be careful to consider what the Bible says specifically and not what I think might be the case. I found that both with Christians and non-Christians, there's a lot of opinions. There's a lot of misinterpretations. There's a lot of 
cultural things that have crept into our minds that have nothing to do with what the Bible actually says. So before we get into, again, answering these questions, we have to really look, what does the Bible say? It's important to go to the original source and not what I may have been taught in my culture or what I may have been taught in my church or what I just assumed it might say. You know, if you're dealing with scholarly world, the world of academics, secondary and tertiary sources are considered less good. A true scholar is going to deal with primary sources. So that's why we have to look at what does the Bible say. So let's look at that first. Before we get into what the Bible says about hell, I think it's most important to get into what the Bible says about heaven. So let's turn to the book of Revelation, which is one of the primary sources for describing heaven. Book of Revelation says this, Then I looked, and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. That's in Revelation 5 verses 11 through 14. What that tells us is that Christians and really all the beings in heaven, what their primary duty in heaven is, is to fall at the feet of Jesus and worship him. Heaven is about worshiping Jesus. That's what Revelation 5 says. Now, Revelation 22 says this, no longer will there be anything accursed but the throne of God and of the Lamb. Now the Lamb is Jesus. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light or lamp of the sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. That's again in Revelation 22. So those two passages tell us that in heaven, people will be worshiping the Lamb, worshiping Jesus Christ. They will be singing glories to Jesus Christ. They will see his face, it says. We will finally be able to see Jesus face to face. That's heaven. People in heaven are not in a general, nonspecific sense of bliss. No, no. The Bible teaches that heaven is worshiping Jesus, seeing his face, being around other worshipers of Jesus, being around people that want to worship Jesus all day long. As a matter of fact, there will be no stopping because there'll be no night there. God is light and in him is no darkness. So it is all godly things with godly people worshiping God in the form of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what heaven is like, singing glories to him. Heaven is being in the presence of the Lord Jesus. That's what the Bible says 
So again, we have to get rid of this idea that heaven is some just fuzzy sense of bliss of having a good time. No, no. People in heaven will be singing praises to Jesus and worshiping him for eternity. People in heaven will take the name of the lamb, Jesus, and spend time seeing his face. It says in Revelation that the name, his name will be on our foreheads. So people will take the name of Jesus and worship him. People in heaven will always be in the light of God. That's heaven. So we have to understand that heaven is a really good church session all day long, forever and ever, because that's where we worship Jesus. Now, let's also look at what the Bible says about people. What does the Bible say about humans and human nature? Well, Romans 1.21 gives us a clue. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. So as our nature, we do not honor God. We do not give him glory. That's not how we start out. Another one is that talks about in, in the Gospel of Luke. When one of those who reclined at table with Jesus heard these things, he said to them, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. But he said to him, A man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And in time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything now is ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I bought a field and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I bought five yoke of oxen and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I've married a wife and therefore I cannot come. So in Luke 14, what Jesus is saying is they've been invited to the banquet. That's a representative of heaven. And people didn't want to come. They didn't want to be with the master, the Lord, that had the banquet. They wanted to go out and do worldly things. They didn't want to be with the master. In John chapter 3, starting in verse 19, Jesus says, and this is the judgment, The light has come into the world, and people love darkness rather than light because their works were evil. That's what it says, is that people loved evil rather than the light. Jesus is light, and there's people in the world don't want to worship Jesus. John 1 says that Jesus came into his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. From these verses, again, not what I think or what you think, what does the Bible teach? Before we deal with heaven and hell and these things, we have to answer the questions about them. We have to understand what the Bible teaches about them. So what do we know about what the Bible says about people? People do not honor God by nature. People are invited into the presence of God, but they give reasons why they don't want to go. Some people hate the light of Jesus and will not come into the light. And we know this from our experience. We know this to be true. There's people today that cannot stand to spend an hour a week in church. They don't want to be around people that talk about Jesus. They don't want to learn about him and read in his word. That's how the Bible says 
people by nature are. Until God regenerates us and until we accept his offer of salvation by faith in Jesus, then we won't love him either. It's only after our regeneration that we really understand what it's like to love Jesus and to be with him and have this desire to love him and be around him. Then we want to go to heaven. People in heaven, again, are going to be worshiping Jesus. And people on earth don't want to worship Jesus. Heaven is not. We have to get this idea out of our head that heaven is just this general sense of bliss, sitting on a cloud, having a good time, maybe, uh, you know, the most relaxing day we've ever had. That's heaven. No, no. Heaven is very active. We will be worshiping the Lord Jesus forever and ever and ever and ever. Thousands upon thousands singing holy and holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty at the feet of Jesus looking into his face. That's heaven. So that's what the Bible says about heaven and people. Let's talk for a second about hell. Yes, the Bible mentions hell. The Bible talks quite a bit about hell. And again, we have to get this idea out of our heads of a this cultural hell. We have to look, what does the Bible actually teach? What does it say about hell? So there's some teachings in the Old Testament about the dis eternal destruction of hell, and there's some teachings in the New Testament about the eternal destruction of hell. One of the things that we have to get out of our mind is this idea that the Old Testament is all judgment and heavy punishment, and the New Testament is all sweetness and light. No, no. If you look at how many times the Bible talks about love, it talks about love and God's love many more times in the Old Testament than it does in the New. And it talks about punishment many more times in the New Testament than it does in the Old. So we have to get this fuzzy idea of our head that we may have just picked up from friends or culture about what hell is like. So let's turn to the Bible and see what the Bible actually says. Then we can get into the questions about it. In the Old Testament, it mentions, it doesn't mention the word hell, but it talks about the concept quite clearly. In the book of Daniel, chapter 12, verse 2 says this, Many of those who sleep in the dust of the ground will awake, these to everlasting life, but the others to disgrace and everlasting contempt. That's in Daniel. So again, those who sleep in the dust are those that have died. And it says they will awake and they will have everlasting contempt. That is the description of hell in the Old Testament. We also have a description in Isaiah chapter 66, verse 24. Then they will go forth and look on the corpses of the men who have transgressed against me, for their worm will not die, and their fire will not be quenched, and they will be an abhorrence to all mankind. So in the Old Testament, both in Daniel 12 and in Isaiah 66, it talks about people that did not love God awaking from the ground, being in everlasting contempt. And the descriptive words there are very emotional. Their worm will not die. The fire will not be quenched. That's what it describes in the Old Testament. 
in the New Testament, it gets even more specific. Matthew chapter 10 says this, it is better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. Matthew chapter 5, verse 29. Matthew 10 says, do not fear those who kill the body, but are unable to kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. So it will be at the end of the age, the angels will come forth and take out the wicked from among the righteous and will throw them into the furnace of fire. That place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's in Matthew 13, verses 49 and 50. And then in Luke 16, it goes on to tell this story about Lazarus and the rich man. And Lazarus was in a place it calls Abraham's bosom. He was in a place of bliss, but the rich man was in a place of torment. And he begged the angels that said, can someone just come and put a drop of water on my tongue? Or can someone go and tell my brothers about this place so that we could warn them? The angel said, if they don't believe what's already been revealed, they won't believe it even if someone comes back from the dead. So the Bible very clearly in the New Testament says that there will be a time where people are rewarded after our death and people will be suffering after our death. Second Thessalonians 1 says, when the Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, dealing out retribution to those who do not know God and those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus, they will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. Now, one of the passages there in Second Thessalonians are very important. It says, away from the Lord. That's hell is being away from the Lord. God is light and God is good. So being away from the Lord is where all the suffering happens. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Revelation 21.8. With this, we can draw a few conclusions about hell. The Bible says there will indeed be a day of judgment, Matthew 11.22, where people's destiny is decided. The Bible also teaches that hell is a very real place. It describes it as very real place. It's not a figurative idea. It's not some symbol of something. It describes it as a very real place. The language of the text does not allow us to view hell as some sort of a symbolism. But even if it were, let's say for the sake of argument that hell is a symbol. Well, all symbols are symbols of something real. A symbol on a map or a symbol of, of a concept is a symbol of something that actually exists. So even if we were to take hell and the afterlife is some sort of a symbolism, it's a symbol of something real. And the Bible presents hell as a very real place. The language of the text simply does not allow us to brush away hell as something that is just there for some symbolism that means nothing or means what I want to pour into it. No, it has a very real, very specific explanation. 
another, the rest of the conclusions about hell. At least in the end, some will be thrown into the lake of fire, Revelation 21.8. Those in hell are permanently separated from those in God's blessings, Luke 16. Physical bodies will encounter eternal destruction, not merely spiritual. Again, the Bible is quite clear that it are physical bodies that will experience eternal destruction. It says that in Daniel 12, 2, Isaiah 66, 24, Matthew 5, 29, Matthew 10, 28. Physical bodies will, will experience eternal pain and destruction. The place of hell is described in several ways. Worm-ridden, unquenchable fire, flames, darkness, burning sulfur, very vivid descriptions. It is a place of eternal destruction. It's a place away from the presence of the Lord and the glory of his power, 2 Thessalonians 1. And the experiences people will encounter in hell will be shame and contempt, weeping, gnashing of teeth, agony, torment, and burning. That is what the Bible describes as hell. The text of the scripture simply does not give us the room. It does not give us the ability to brush it away as some sort of a symbolism of just losing the ability to be with God. No, no. So summary of both heaven and people and hell. What does the Bible teach? Then we can get into answering some of the questions and the criticisms about them. Heaven is described as singing godly songs, worshiping Jesus, and spending time being in the presence of God. It's only for those who take the name of Jesus. Why? Because that's what we're going to do is sing praises to Jesus, put his name on our forehead, be around him, see his face, want to worship him. That's what heaven is like. Many people reject Jesus. I know, and I'm sure you know, many people that reject Jesus, they don't want to talk about Jesus. They don't want to be with Jesus. We know that today, if we bring up the subject of Jesus, they leave, they get quite upset. They don't like the idea of worshiping Jesus. That's their natural state. Hell is described as dark, in flames, people are crying, they're in agony, and they're in torment. It's for those who will not take the name of Jesus. Now, that's what the Bible presents. That's what the Bible presents. That's our description of heaven and hell and people and the people that go there and the people that don't. So from that, we can now deal with some of these questions because we have to, again, get this idea in our, in our minds of what the Bible is actually saying, both in the Old Testament and the New. We will physically, at least what the Bible says, is that our physical bodies will rise from the grave and those that are naming the name of Jesus will be in fellowship with him for all eternity. And those who are not in fellowship with Jesus will be in eternal torment for all eternity. Now we can get into these questions about, is it fair? Is that right? The temporal nature of it versus the eternal nature of it. That's what we can get into next.
We're going to stop here for now because we've hit the end of our time, but we're going to pick up next time on this series, Is It Just for God to Allow People to Go to Hell? We're going to continue to reason through this next time, and we trust that you'll be here with us.